0: White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 597.
1: 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition, 2, 1, 0. We have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. It's a V is It's moving off the pad. It is now clear to the tower.
0: here we are at DragonCon 2021 on the sci-fi literature track. And we're talking about the pulps. We're going to talk about some old pulps, some new pulps, some what is pulp, and have uh, quite a bit of other interesting things to say about the pulps. And joining me for this uh, exploration of that uh, topic are these three gentlemen that you see here. Let's introduce ourselves, starting with Bobby.
2: Hi, I'm Bobby Nash. I'm an author. I have written my fair share of what we call New Pulp, um, and uh, yeah, I, I am happy to be here.
0: And uh, Teal James Glenn, introduce yourself, please, sir.
3: Hello, I'm, like the man said, Teal James Glenn. Um, I've written a lot of New Pulp stuff, and I've been lucky enough to write new versions, new stories of some of the old classic pulp characters, um, and yeah, this is
0: a delight to be here. All right, and Sean. And I'm Sean.
1: Hi, um, no, I'm <laughs> oh Sean. Hi, Sean. <laughs> I'm Sean Taylor. I've written uh, a lot of new pulp, along with some science fiction, horror, uh, comics, um, that sort of thing. And uh, if you want to know more about that, just go to thetaylorverse.com. It'll have you all that stuff. So, and I am your host,
0: Mr. Rourke. No, I am uh, Van Allen Flectico, <laughs> and I. I- Yes, I write um, the Sentinel superhero novels and uh, the uh, Har- uh, Harper and Salsa crime novels, and several other in sci-fi. Got comics coming out, a lot of pulp stuff, and uh, as well as nonfiction, sports. I've done, uh, I've edited quite a few anthologies of new pulp, and uh, got a reprint of one of those coming out this summer, Gideon Kane Demon Hunter, which I'm looking forward to. So, and of course, the host of the White Rocket podcast, among others. So let us talk about it. Um, I guess the first thing we always have to do when we have like a hard fifty-minute time limit here, uh, just so everybody knows, this so, one question
2: could take the whole fifty minutes in some cases. I know <laughs> we
0: have to be mindful of our time frame and save time for everything. We may have another person joining us at some point where we're, there's still some question about that, but we'll see. Uh, but anyway, so for those that are watching that don't really know exactly what we're talking about, uh, you know, there's always the people that their only experience is the Pulp Fiction movie, which really has very little to do with with pulp <laughs> yeah. writing. So uh, who wants to go first on kind of throwing out an explanation of exactly what it is we're talking about here?
3: I, I knew that. Uh, strictly speaking, pulps are adventure and other literature that was published on low quality pulp paper from essentially the, the early part of the 20th century all the way up into the 1950s. Although the classic period we think of in pulps is like 1930 to about 1948, 1950, last one being published in 55, which was the Black Bat. Um, they are popular literature. They were what you could get for a dime or some cases a nickel. And they filled the niche for people who wanted to have something to read. This was before paperbacks existed. So they were very much the popular excitement literature.
1: Yeah. And they were in contrast. Uh, the pulps obviously were the cheaply done things as opposed to the slicks, um, which were your nice, you know, high paying <laughs> in some cases, you know, magazines, you know, in K- if you weren't getting in those, you would basically slum it and write 17 stories a month to get paid the same as one might get paid for the slicks kind of thing. But pulps. Yeah. The thing I like about it is they were pass around literature um, it was like you read it, you roll it up, you slip it in your back pocket, uh, you pass it along to somebody else before you get a new one or get one from somebody else. Like, hey, I finished reading the Western one. Do you want to read the Sci-Fi? Sure. You know, it was and, it was it was for the masses. It was the people's uh, yeah. story.
2: Yeah, and and especially once the war started, they were highly recyclable. Yeah. So recycling them, so which is why they are. Part of the reason those ma- those uh, pulps are more expensive today is there are so few of them mm-hmm. because of the war recycling efforts. Mm-hmm. But like Sean said, this was the kind of thing where you know writers would go and over the course of one to two days pop out almost a book, you know, like a, a small book, what we'd call a novella today probably, and they would do it over the weekend for like like a penny a word. But this was how yep. a lot of these journeyman writers made their money. You know, we we think of some of these guys as doing, you know, you know, we think of it now as really good literature. But like guys like Edgar Rice Burroughs and William Gibson and whatnot, these guys just sit down and pump this stuff out.
3: Yep. There were cases of guy walking into an office to turn in one story. The editor'd go, I got this painting of a cover. I need a thirty thousand word mm-hmm. novel by tomorrow. Can you do it? And they'd go home and do it. Yep. Just on, on typewriters. On, on <laughs> giant typewriters you have to pound with your hands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Astounding.
1: All right. I like that you said we Oh, go ahead. I said I like that, Bobby. So we think of this as great literature because I'm like, where did that come from? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people do though, but there are a lot of people but today. This, this yeah. is, hey, you know,
3: National hammock Ray Bradbury. People forget yeah. they started in the Pulse. Yeah. Absolutely,
1: but we but we remember those guys are the classics, so they're kind of penultimates. But yeah, just like oh, yeah, today, like sh- so much is throwaway. You know,
2: maybe I should have said classic instead of instead there of great literature. Well, but yeah, there, there's a but there is a they they've become. They've become popular in the classics, or yeah. but for, you know, with time. You know, right. we look. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like a cult movie. Movie comes out, bombs at the box office. Nobody talks about it. Twenty years later, it's playing on TNT or HBO Max, and you know, suddenly it becomes this huge hit, and people forget that it bombed. It I just becomes. Now we should
3: summon the spirit of mike bullock
2: yes yes yes
0: if we all concentrate (laughs) i think we can bring him into the welcome aboard mike well introduce yourself mike we were just starting out we introduced ourselves and they were trying to explain what pulp is
4: uh my name is mike bullock i am a writer i suffer from an excess of imagination and if i can't get things out creatively i literally start to come apart at the seams so that has led to uh i was able to write the phantom for Moonstone books for quite a long time. Um, Produced more phantom comic books than any other American aside from Lee Falk ever, which I think is really, really just an awesome thing to have been able to do. And beyond that, I just love all things pulp.
0: There you go. All right. So we've, we've heard the other three gentlemen besides me, I haven't had my shot yet take a kind of a crack at explaining what exactly pulp is, what makes it different from other literature and so forth. What are your thoughts on that?
4: Well, I think first it's easy to pigeonhole it and it's easy to decide it's just one particular genre. Like I've talked to plenty of people who think it's all about, uh, you know, private eyes and seedy alleyways, stories like that. Um, But I think what a lot of people forget is pulp spanned almost all the genres there were romance pulps, horror pulps. Uh, my personal favorite was sword and sorcery, um, all those different kinds of things. But I think it really kind of comes down to, I believe it was Tommy Hancock coined it best as it's just a very fast paced, imaginative storytelling. Yep. You know, you yeah. don't get into the Stephen King. I'm going to spend four pages describing the embroidery and the curtains and that kind of nonsense. Yeah. You know? the, the, the
3: only thing that pulp can't
2: be is dull. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, like if you bring it to a modern day thing, I would call like the harlequin romances, of, you know, especially that were big in the 80s, 70s and 80s. Th- those were those were pure, you know, romance pulp even though they didn't call it that.
0: It's a style, it's not a genre. That's right. the most yeah. important thing I think is that yeah. it, it's like comics. Comics are not a genre, they are a way of telling a story. Mm-hmm. It's like saying I mean, to say that pulp is just private eye or something is like saying television is just game shows. Yeah, it's, it's a medium. And, and as you guys said a minute ago, it, the particular benefit of it is that it was inexpensive. You know, t- today, I think we've all pretty much come to the conclusion that today's version of pulp in terms of a delivery system is like ebooks, Kindle, that kind uh-huh. of thing. It's okay. the cheapest way to get the story out to the most people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a few years ago that was print on demand today. It's today. It's Kindle and, and sales tend mm-hmm. to kind of reflect that often. So, all right. Well, um, I guess we should go around any other thoughts before we're going to get in the categories? We've got some interesting categories we want to dig through. And I think it's going to take us a little while to get through them. Cause I know you guys are going to have a lot to say about it and that's awesome. So, but any other thoughts about, uh, pulp that people need to know before we, uh, before we do that?
2: I don't like it in my orange juice.
0: You know. No, no, no. Or his coffee. my <laughs> I mean, the paper starts to disintegrate and, yeah. you know, it just, uh, <laughs> they gets, do get
2: nice yeah. and yellow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Well that is by the way that that does remind me of one of the things that, that went something you said a minute ago, you guys said, reminded me is that, you know, you, you're talking about the slicks versus the pulps and that's the great irony of the pulps is that back in the day when they were being produced, the prestige was in the, slicks and the pulps were a throwaway. But today when you go around and find these leather bound, acid-free preserved volumes, it's pulp in it. The slick yeah. stuff is long gone. Nobody wants a leather bound you know, collection
3: that. Yeah. During his lifetime, that great hack writer, Shakespeare, what he was doing was considered junk. <laughs> the, the literature of the time were the sonnets. That's what yeah. everyone aspired to write. Nobody yeah. wrote plays that had any respect for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, he's the ultimate pulp writer, the ultimate, you know, hack that turns out what people actually want to hear, and there can be an, an enormous amount of quality in that. Uh-huh.
4: I love that crossover where Doc Savage fought Hamlet. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, the spy- the spider was perfect in Coriolanus because there was so much <laughs> told you there was something wrong
1: in, in Denmark. Denmark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people, I always tell my students, people go, get off of work and go over to the Globe to watch Midsummer Night's Dream like they come home and watch Big Bang Theory or something. That was, yeah, it was, it was government subsidized propaganda and sitcom. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Pro, pro Elizabeth propaganda. Um, well, let's get to the let's get to our uh, categories here. We've got a few and I think this would be kind of neat. The first thing I want to go, do, go around the horn and ask, and I'm just, i guess I'm going to kind of work my way. Everybody sees this probably differently, but I got Bobby next to me, which is cool. So, Bobby, <laughs> let's start out with you. Who is the greatest pulp character? And I figure we're going to this when we do this, we're going to hear about the, like the biographies briefly of several cool ones. So it's a good question. So, Bobby, in your opinion, who is the greatest pulp character of the day of back in the day?
1: I have it down
2: to two, and 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 the reason for this, one of them. One of them I'm very biased on, and it's a character I had never heard of until I was actually tapped to write the character, and that's the character of the Domino Lady, um, which you guys can see on the the poster on the wall there if I lean the right direction. Um, in reading, she only appeared in six stories back in the heydays of the pulps, and they were the spicy pulps, you know, in today's terminology. That's the stuff you got behind the counter, wrapped in plastic, you know, so you couldn't see the you know the cover and Uh, She was a very interesting character. What made her spicy was not only that she was a woman character who dressed provocatively, but she was not afraid to have sex, you know, which in those stories, you know, she goes in for the clinch. The camera goes off this way and, you know, later, uh, you know, but there's a lot of innuendo and things like that in the stories. So when I was tapped to write the character, I went and found reprints of those original stories and read them. And my first thought was not only how cool a character she is, but that those stories could be told with very few changes and be set today. That there was very little that needed to be changed to make her viable today. We could could film those, and that would be a six episode miniseries with very few changes. And so, but she's a very smart character. You know, it's not just from looking at the covers and everything. Yes, it's about the figure, it's about the low-cut dress, blah, blah, blah. But when you read them, she is a super intelligent character who has this interesting gimmick of when she, most of her villains were poly, crooked politicians, corrupt businessmen, mm-hmm. you know, dirty cops, things like that. She would write them letters on white ink on black paper, mail them letters, anonymous, that says, I know what you did. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to do to you because I know what you did. And so she would warn them, I'm coming for you. And here's what I'm after. So they would be on guard against this, and she would still outsmart them. And I think that was what really made me fall in love with the character was not that she could shoot them and fight, but that she could outsmart people. She was very intelligent. And so, you know, and having written her multiple times now, I really just, the more I write her, the more I love the character. Um, but the other one I thought of just from a gimmick standpoint is secret agent X, uh, the man of a thousand faces who could become anybody and which makes for some interesting stories. Cause he can just, he can be anybody and the reasons for him taking people's places or just becoming this character to get into involved with something. I, I just found those two characters to be very compelling and also like domino lady secret agent x's origin with only minor tweaks works today which i actually did write that um because he was in a war in afghanistan when something happened to him <laughs> that allowed There's him
0: always in a war in afghanistan yeah,
2: that allowed him to learn this 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 skill and then he goes to work you know doing you know put that skill to use so with very few tweaks his origin works just as well oh, as man. as domino ladies yeah
0: Bobby, I've got to say, I'm going to get to to teal next, but I got to say. I, I was telling somebody the other day, I love how in the new Sherlock Holmes, Watson was still injured in yeah. Afghanistan <laughs> because the British were there in the 1800s and they were there in the 2000s. So you just can't yeah. get out of yeah. there. The
2: Great. more things change, the more they stay the same. Alexander the Great said, you know,
3: he went around Afghanistan. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it.
2: Yeah. You yeah. know what? Our yeah. grandkids will be at this one doing one of these oh, in yeah. 30 years going, yeah, you know, this character. They're, we're in the war in Afghanistan. and
0: <laughs> There's nothing there, but crazy. Anyway, uh, Mr. Glenn, go ahead, sir. What do you? What's we're,
2: your... Mine are
3: probably more traditional, but um, in terms of the greatest of the pulp characters, because I agree with Bobby, there's a lot of really cool minor characters that are fascinating, but for me, Doc Savage starts the list. Um, he is the ultimate science hero. He is all about his brain, although he's physically perfect. He was raised by his father and a bunch of scientists to dedicate himself to fight evil. And um, what most people forget is that his first story, Man of Bronze, he's 18 years old. He's not the um, wrinkly-looking guy who's on the cover that was, you know, a 35-year-old actor uh, that was painted as him. He was supposed to be very young but incredibly smart, a surgeon, had all these cool sidekicks with him. And um, so for me, he's he is the embodiment of like the science hero pulp guy. And the other one that to me greatest and in both cases, I think the characters transcend the writer like Sherlock Holmes transcended Conan Doyle. The other one is Tarzan. Tarzan, which was only written as a one off. He had no idea of ever writing a second book until an editor said, give me a second book. And he went, what? (laughs) <laughs> so you pay me yes okay i'll write it um which is why they're not actually as well written as his john carter books but to me um he is the embodiment of uh every civilized person's fantasy to become this primitive superhero who is nobler than noble and smarter than smart guy teaches himself languages constantly uh he's nothing like the the Dumb moron in, in in most of the movies, um, and gets into all these fantasy adventures. So I think in terms of Hope characters, those are the greatest, not necessarily the best, um, but to me the ones that. I mean, between the two of them, there have to be a hundred and fifty knockoffs of those two characters.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. you
3: know, um, maybe more. Uh, Tarzan certainly has billions, but um, there's a lot that owe even my doctor shadows is is a a shadow of of
1: doc savage but i
3: think those for me those are the two so Mm -hmm. i see the floor Mm -hmm.
1: john um i'm gonna have to say golden amazon uh because like bobby i think i like the characters who they they're not the ones that people automatically default to to me they had some of the stronger stories um but they weren't um like like till just said that they weren't you know, they weren't knockoffs of something else, you know, because there's so many characters who are knockoffs of yeah. you know, the Shadow or knockoffs of Tarzan or knockoffs of, you know, Doc Savage. And to some degree, you could say that Golden Amazon is, but the thing I like about her is that her stories and as a character, she is so complicated. And not just because she has two origins. Um <laughs> The first being that she was uh, basically saved from planet Venus and is adopted. She's sort of a Supermanish type of character, only a woman. And then the second being there's some kind of you know uh, manipulation chemically to her, and that gives her these superpowers. And she's supposed to bring away a way of peace. But the thing, and this is where all the thing I love about her is, is that she's such a complicated character. She's not this perfect good. Like you think of Doc Savage, right? He's yeah. he's always going to do the right thing because it's built into his makeup as a person. I I can't do wrong. I You know, he cannot tell a lie. He did chop the cherry tree, so to think. Yeah. Um, but but for her, she's like, all right, if I want to make the world perfect, I'm going to do it my way because I know better than anybody else. She's both Charles Xavier and Magneto at the same time. Yeah. And to me, that makes her character so much more compelling because – there's so much more going on underneath her than just do the right thing, do the right thing kind of thing. And in a time when the pulps were all about very clear cut, this is black, this is white, this is good. This is evil. You've got this character like the golden Amazon, who's both. Mm -hmm. And, but yet she's the hero, you know, and and I love that. Um, So to me, definitely golden Amazon.
3: First major (laughs) anti-hero in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And she was a a strong female
1: lead in stories.
2: So, yeah, her and I think the spider, I would probably categorize that too. the of the they were of the shoot first, ask questions later, Mm -hmm. if at all, if at all. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. what you got, Mike?
4: All right. So first off for me, this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody who knows me, but Conan, number one, he was Mm -hmm. the character that launched an entire genre um you know robert e howard came up with other characters after him that followed in the same vein but so did thousands of other writers there are so many conan knockoffs to speak of knockoffs of characters uh you know he not only was an archetype for an entire type of hero but an entire you know other world based in historical truths but a lot of variations and a lot of places where the timeline split off um Robert E. Howard just wrote some really incredible stuff. And I think that Conan, if it wasn't for Conan, what we consider to be fiction and, and exciting adventure stories these days wouldn't be what it is. And then the second one will kind of tie in with what Sean has. And I'll touch on that in a sec is Gladiator. I think if it wasn't for the original Gladiator book, you wouldn't have the majority of what is superheroes these days.
3: Um, but is it technically pulp? Depends I don't,
4: on who you talk to. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to also into that camp, I think Zorro kind of also led to a lot of that, yeah. but Zorro's also, is that really pulp? Is it not? Well, is it, it depends on how technical you get. It was yeah.
3: so. pulp first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: So, but, you know, t- with Gladiator, I think it's, it's the duality of the character. You know, he's at once the strongest human on the planet and he's facing problems that you can't solve with brute strength. Yeah. And I think sure. that defines him. You know, and what then,
3: I found out recently They made a movie with Buster Keaton of Gladiator.
4: I bet you that was cool as a comedy. Mm -hmm. See that should pop up on Netflix. Like Bobby just said, and it can not be a flop anymore. Yeah. So, um, but to touch again on what Sean was talking about, uh, I think Gladiator and golden Amazon make a great mix. I'm plugging Mm -hmm. the story. I just wrote for Moonstone right now. (laughs) Um, It should be coming out soon, (laughs) but you know, I, I think the, you know, Gladiator, just the the wake of what he left behind and the same with Conan, you know, the impact those two characters have had on, you know, pop culture in every decade since their inception is yeah. undeniable.
0: Well, I was definitely going to say Conan and I'm a big Robert E. Howard fan. I love Solomon Kane at least as much as Conan, too. They're both fantastic. But I guess I'll um, I've got to go John Carter of Mars, uh, despite what the movie did or didn't do for his reputation. Still a great story. Still a great movie. still a great character, uh, a very misunderstood character because his main power is not that he can, f- you know, fly or jump or whatever, because that was just because he was on Mars. His main power is he's immortal. He's basically a Highlander. Yeah people, totally, shit, yeah. yeah. people totally miss the fact that he's essentially an immortal like Highlander or an Amber Prince. And he just happened to be on Mars on those stories. You could do a thousand more John Carter stories. Yeah. you are doing other stuff which is really cool. Um and then I think the other one this is a little more recent but I think this is kind of like you know there's like the pulps from the 30s and 40s and there's the pulps the new pulp of today the but there was pulp in like the paperbacks in the in the 60s and 70s into the 80s even and I, I, my personal favorite is Parker the the Donald mm. Westlake Richard Stark Parker which to me is 100% pulp. It's so formulaic but yet it's so effective and he's one of my absolute favorite characters the he's the 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 criminal uh heist artist who you know they always say oh but has a heart of gold no parker does not have a heart <laughs> of gold at all he's quite the opposite and that's why he's never he's been in so many movies and they've never done him right because the whole thing that makes him work is that he's totally amoral he's not a bad guy or a good guy he just he's he's a force of nature he's like galactus more than he is like the, closest, the
3: closest was lee marvin
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even yeah. still, I have issues with that movie. Uh, point blank. Well, Yeah. Okay. Thing, but yeah. Cool. I'm going to shuffle things around a little bit. Uh, I want to get to make sure we get to some that I like here. I want to ask you this as a double question. Um, and, and, and if you don't have an answer for it is fine, but I'm curious about this. And I'll start with Bobby again. We'll work around what pulp, Property or trope has aged the best, and which one has aged the worst? In other words, what still works really well today, and what is like, oh man, that's cringes. You know, what do you think?
2: I, I certainly think the things that are not tied to a specific time frame have aged better. I think Tarzan, you know, Tarzan works in whatever era. Conan, you know, is kind of, even though they just stuck to a a, a a mythical time, they still work because you don't have to worry about our passage of time. So I think any of, almost all of ERB stuff like does like, like uh, you know, Pellucidart, the stuff in at there's core and, you know, all that stuff because that could take place at any time. So I think those hold up. Some of the ones that are tied to a specific moment in time, not that the stories don't hold up, but I think. We've changed you know, as things change and people learn things, there the way certain characters are treated, certainly slang who the villains can be. We have a lot of stereotypical villains. There is a good bit of racism in a lot of the old pulps. But right. be- and, and, and but you look at it from there, that was just how people were at the time. Sure. So I mean but as you as we have progressed. You look on those things now, and there are some stories like that that you kind of read it and go, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I know there was big discussions with a lot of us and other people when we started doing new pulp stories with those characters set in those time frames. There were a lot of discussions. Do we do it the way they did it? Or do we take into consideration modern sensibilities? I know there were a lot of discussions with a lot of writers and publishers about those very things. And so, so, you know, but like I said, some of that stuff, you, you kind of cringe when you read it now, uh, the way certain types of characters were treated Uh just, just doesn't hold up. But, but I think anything, anything with the, the stories I think hold up pretty well. The, some of the plots were simple, you know, bad guy here, good guy here, but good guy needs to stop bad guy. Um, Barry Reese put it this way once. And I love this and I'll end on this. It's, if you have Nazis w- who have created an ice cannon, Doc Savage needs to go kick their ass. That's your plot. <laughs> and yeah, and I, yeah. I love that, you know. Yeah.
4: Barry's amazing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that, Bobby, I think you've pretty much uh, nailed this category, but I'll go around anyway and just see if you guys want to add anything. I think you've covered most of it. Teal, what do you think?
3: Um, I was going to say that um – the, the rich white guy with the non-white sidekick absolutely doesn't fly anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: Doc Savage doing unlicensed brain surgery on people with <laughs> no controls That's not going to fly. Um, you know, it's like, hey, I've captured him. Let's go stick some pins in his head and make him nice. <sighs> we'll um, you, wrong. you know, yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, the stuff that still works are straight-up revenge stories. -hmm. That you know the spider is like, I'll kill everything bad in front of me and there'll be hundreds of thousands dead, but nobody will really mind because everyone knows they're really scummy. You know, there's that that still works because that's the plot of every freaking Liam Neeson movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know,
0: yeah, (laughs) you know, honestly, that is a good point is that those all these Liam Neeson movies, these action movies, are basically pulp movies.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Liam Neeson could very easily be uh Cranston, yeah, you know, he could Mm -hmm. very easily be any one of like the main pulp heroes of the time, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, you know, I have a particular set of skills. I will find you. You know, it's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. But the other thing that actually still works, which seems bizarre, is the hero has some secret hoard of money somewhere. Oh yeah, Aztec, Tibetan, Mayan, because uh, even more than then, nowadays, we realize you've got to have a lot of money to be a Mr. Hero. Yeah. You've got yeah. to be a billionaire. And if you didn't do it yourself, it has to be because some lost civilization handed you a pile of money. That's the only way you could afford to run around all the time and why I don't fight crime. (laughs) I think I just heard
4: a challenge to every writer out there to create the homeless hero.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, and and I gotta say I agree with you on the and building on that about the um you know, the characters that can still do it because their story. Still works, right? I think that's why folks like the Black Bat, for example, um, they can work whatever setting you want to put them into, whatever time frame, because the character itself, there's a level of genericness to it. Anytime you put a dude in something that covers his face, there's a genericness to it that, unless it says, something specific time-wise like bobby says it's going to work whatever Captain you do
2: 1941 with
1: it. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah that wouldn't work but yeah you take the black bat you can make him uh, he can become any race he can become any whatever he can and in any time period and he's going to work because there is something intrinsic it's kind of like you know We can call blue anything we want to, but there is something behind the word that is essentially and intrinsically blue that we can't, there's an eccentric truth behind, uh, you know, intrinsic truth behind that. And it's the same thing for characters like the black bat or the shadow. There is an, there's an intrinsic truth of who that character is. that can work anywhere, anytime, any, whatever. Um, But I do disagree with you. I think, Teal on the, um, for me, the one percenter hero is played out. I am so sick of that. I am yep. tired of the people with all the money. Uh, to me, the characters that I encountered, um, like Spider Man in the in the the seventies, he didn't have money. He was always down on his luck. And to me, that changed. And I've started. I've I really identified more with like, I, in I got away from the the rich hero who, you know, can do whatever and blah blah blah, oh, as no, opposed to the period. yeah.
3: I I am just saying it could work. I still prefer, you know, um, Sam Spade looking for a buck to, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chandler's character who never asks for money.
1: I, yeah. you, to me, that's still more real. Right, it can still work because it can work. I guess I guess personally, I can't write that because mm-hmm. that type of mentality just drives me crazy, uh, and I can't. And the, and like Bobby said, the the shorthand racism just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The yellow peril, the whatever, you can't. Yeah. That's just not gonna fly. So yeah.
4: Mike? <laughs> I'm gonna take a left turn here and I'm gonna say one of the things I loved about the Phantom was he was his storytelling was the embodiment of the cliche ripped from the headlines. Yeah. Lee Falk took stuff from the the twenties, the thirties, the forties, the fifties, the sixties, whatever the challenge was, he addressed it. Mm -hmm. And so the Phantoms Rose Gallery was always changing with the times. So you could write a phantom story in the 21st century where he, you know, I did a story where he takes on Somali pirates who are holding hostages on a freighter. And it was just as much a phantom story as if I had written one in the 50s where he was beating up Nazis that were left over from the Third Reich. Oh yeah. So he's
3: a perfect generational character. He never ages. To me, yeah. I love the Phantom. So, yeah.
4: Oddly enough, he had his thirtieth birthday seventy-five years ago. If I can figure out how he did it, I'm doing it myself because aging sucks. <laughs> but it's worked for him.
3: You got to wear a purple suit; it holds everything tight.
4: There you go.
0: All right. Our uh, the next question I want to get to, and again, I'm kind of picking and choosing among the ones because we're time always goes so quickly on these things. We always have so much fun, and we just we just don't have time to do everything we want to do. Uh, I think the next one I want to ask you is who is the greatest pulp writer, and this is from the go from the classic era. I don't mean like you know me or something. Although <laughs> you all want to say <sighs> me, and I appreciate sorry. it. Let me go I, ahead, and, I appreciate
2: uh, it. I appreciate it. <laughs> sorry, but, Bobby. I'll back. have to give you
4: your money back later. Yeah,
2: I was going <laughs> to say Van, but no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you Not know what? You I- go with the go-, go with the classics. Yeah. You know what? I, I I have to give it to Edgar Rice Burroughs. I you know, and it's 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 tough to narrow this down. There's a lot of fantastic you know writers out there, but I just I love Burroughs' work. I think Burroughs created some amazing worlds, you know, and concepts, and that are that are fun to read today and revisit today, just as much as they were then.
0: Yeah,
3: very good, feel. I I would have gone with Burroughs, but I'll do a different one. And for me, it really is a toss-up between Ray Bradbury and uh, Robert E. Howard Mm -hmm. Um, for two completely different reasons. But people forget that Bradbury was a pulp writer. He wrote every one of the genres, too. Mm -hmm. Horror, detective, you know, um, because he did, he proved that it doesn't have to be throwaway stuff. On the other hand, Robert E. Howard changed my life. Robert E. Howard, um, when you read his original stuff, not stuff that's been re-edited or cleaned up, even with the inherent racism in some of it that got less as he grew up and got old, you know, he he grew as a person and you can see it in his writing. um, He found a way to reach through the page and just grab you by the throat with everything he wrote. Even if the clock didn't work, you didn't care. It just pulled you along with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Active stories are uh, terrible, but you don't care. Absolutely.
0: I got I to tell you a quick, uh, a, a quick story about Ray Bradbury that I just read the other day. I'm reading the Harlan Ellison biography, Lit Fuse. And there's a little, um, David Gerald wrote the introduction. And it, just really quick, Gerald said he was at Harlan Ellison's house and Ellison got a phone call. And Ellison's like talking for a few minutes and hangs up. And, and Ellison, Harlan Ellison turns to David Gerald and says, uh, that was Ray Bradbury. And he says a couple of things. He says, you know the difference between you and me and Ray Bradbury, David? And David's like, what? He says, you and I know this is just a game. Bradbury believes this crap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I that was interesting. I thought that was really interesting. Sean, yeah. what do you got? Um, I'm going to pull a name from out of left field that most people probably wouldn't know, and that's William Fitzgerald Jenkins, who you would probably know as Murray Leinster. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing I love about Murray's work is that he, like Bray Bradbury, he did everything. But the thing that I really, really love is that he has so much non-serial work that I can just read in a sitting and pass on and jump to another story and jump to another story. Cause you know, the, the thing we always think about the pulps are the serial work, right? I can read one black bat story and another black bat story and another, or, or one duck savage and, you know, yeah. but there are so many standalone stories that are just fantastic and get overlooked. Um, and as a writer, I tend to not write serials either. You know, if you, re- I think the, uh, rick ruby stuff is the closest i've gotten to a serial you know um unless we ever do another you know uh, uh the mars books for you there van um and uh oh, yeah. maybe so you know um but but yeah these standalone stories were so good but they're so often forgotten and that's why i love murray's work now he had some more stuff that that was closer to serialization but his earlier stuff if you go i mean he was writing romance westerns you know thrillers uh, and everything and they're all just these great stories it's like he's not the he's not the you know nobel poet laureate or whatever for any of these things but he is always consistent and you're never going to find a story that you go oh that's crap you know mm-hmm. so yeah marie Leinster or linster however you say the name yeah, I'm not, i've never known exactly mike what you got
4: I'm going to go back to the two already touched on in Burroughs and Howard. I think the thing I loved about them is both of them had the ability in one sentence to tell you what most writers take a paragraph or two to get mm-hmm. across. They could, you know, say the character walks in the room and this happens and this happens and all of a sudden you've got, you know, this great picture of what the what the room looks like. you see everybody in it, you understand the temperature, you understand all those things in a very short time span. and Howard had a way of using words that not too many people were using at the time in ways that people weren't necessarily using them yeah. to really give it a flavor that nobody else was was kind of capturing that lent to you know the authenticity of the worlds he was creating. Yeah, so I,
3: I think he he gave the term purple prose. Positive meaning. Mm. He had so much color in every phrase and so much depth to every sentence that you went, you really, it just took your breath away. I do want to throw violet. in. His- it wasn't
0: purple, it was ultraviolet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, um, it was Stygian.
3: Uh, yes, yeah, Stygian. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw in his Lester Dent, who is a personal idol of mine, mm-hmm. who yeah, people yeah, kind it. of forget because he was writing to a very strict formula. But you can, if you read his stuff in sequence, you can watch a writer progress. So that by the time he did his mystery books in the fifties, he was an incredibly skilled writer. His Oscar mm. snail stuff is just gorgeous. But people think of the character, not the writer. Right. Mm. And the, the thing about the others is that they got you know them as writers. They 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 eclipse their characters because
2: they did more than one. Yeah, and there were so many unknown or you know. We knew that because there was a lot of house names. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like to this day, no one knows who wrote the original Domino Ladies. Uh-huh. No uh-huh. one knows. Lars uh-huh. Anderson was a made up house yeah. name. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those. But there were also, as we mentioned earlier, this was not glamorous work. So there were a lot of writers who were real writers who worked under pen names writing uh-huh. pulps. Uh-huh. Michael Crichton wrote pulps as John Lang. hmm uh-huh completely different style and everything, but they're mm-hmm. fantastic. But if he had wrote those under his own name, we might never have gotten the Andromeda strain or Jurassic park because he would have been pegged in those days yeah. as just a pulp guy and not given those opportunities.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I have to, again, another little quick little story, the Lester Dent story I love. And a couple of you heard this before that he was first starting out. He was, um, working someplace that had typewriters, a bunch of typewriters. So he would stay late or come in early and be typing these stories up when he wasn't working. And this guy comes in and is like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm writing these stories for the Pulps. And he's like, ah, you're writing stories. Yeah. Just making fun of him, laughing, laughing. He's like, you know, what do you make doing that? Dent said, oh, I make this much money. Guy sat down, started typing right next to him. And <laughs> <laughs> <got> a story. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that, he was doing quite well. Yeah. So, let me see. Uh, we do who? Uh, okay. Which pulp property could and should be made into an Amazon
2: or Netflix series tomorrow? You know what? I Like, I, as I said earlier, I think Later Secret Agent X are ready to go. They don't require much in the way of reinvention at all. There are other characters, too. I, You know, Remo, we talked uh, beforehand about Remo Williams. I think Remo Williams is ripe for a comeback.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I think uh-huh. Domino and Lady and, 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 and Secret Agent X are these are these are tropes and, and character archetypes that people totally get. Mm-hmm. You don't
2: yeah. have to explain them, you know. Right, right. Because oh, she's basically she's, bases, yeah. Yeah, she's Batman in a dress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and a domino mask, you know. Uh, you know, I can't unsee that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Secret Agent X, you know, Secret Agent X, the best way to, to tell that to a new audience. Look at the Mission Impossible movies now with all the stuff they're doing with yeah. the the yeah. quick mask. Cha- that's Secret Agent X. Uh, yeah. mine,
3: mine would be Operator Five. The Purple saga would be phenomenal. Be- it, it will go into the audience that loves Walking Dead and apocalyptic stuff. And you just have, and it's a fictional country, so you just make up either a fictional country or make it some secret organization for the for the emperor, and you're set. The other one would be Click Rush, the Gadget Man. Mm-hmm. He, it's basically MacGyver. Mm-hmm. He's, oh, okay. now he uses cool science stuff. It was a Lester Dent character. And the last one is the Avenger. It's simply because of that makeup stuff. And it's got the most realistic origin of any of them. They killed his wife and kid. He solves the murder. It's changed him as a man. And he goes out for Justice Plus. He had a group of interracial assistants that were treated evenly. Yeah. They were college grads so that it would actually require very little updating at all. Mm-hmm.
0: There's an age, the best for sure. Yeah. I, I didn't answer that question Mingo, go, by the way, I have to say that, um, I mean, definitely, age the worst is is the racial stuff and the way that women are treated for sure. But again, Marvel was still treating women that way pretty much into mm-hmm. the sixties, early seventies. So it's just one of those societal I mean, things.
3: Still doing yellow face on actors oh, into the seventies, yeah. for God's sakes. Yeah, for sure,
0: for sure, yeah. But yeah, that's the kind of thing that's aged the best. I think I agree. That is the um, you know the, the, these just these 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 motivations that everybody can understand. They're timeless. They're timeless, Sean. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Obviously, I'm going to go with Amazon doing a golden Amazon animated series. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It would have to be am- animated to really pull it off. Um, but I think because it is, uh, you know, the the sort of conflicted hero, right, that you get now with stuff like the boys and stuff like Invincible. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, that's a huge trope, right? So to have this, you know, basically female version of, uh, you know. Superman and going, I know what's best. I'm going to do it. You know, so I think that would fly with, no pun intended, with um, modern audiences. Um, another one that I think would do really well is Doctor Death. The bad guy is the hero of the series. We've seen it with Dexter. We've seen it with so many different things. And this, and again, it's the same thing. He's he's the hero of his own story, just like Magneto. I know what's best. I it just means I have to me. kill. I can you with a hero named Ascot Keen. I just can't. <laughs> well, we change his name. And the uh, last one, and this is one I would really love to see. I cannot remember the name of the story. It's a one-off story from a science fantasy story. Um, and it's about these group of men. They're boat wrecks. They end up on this island, and there are these flying women on the island. And they fall in love with these women, and they realize the only way to keep the women from leaving is to cut off their wings. And I could see that pulled off over a, over a, like a standalone season to tell that story, and it is one of my favorite pulp stories to this day because – I mean that was done – I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was in the early 40s and somebody, mm. and I think it was a male writer who mm-hmm. did it. Um, like I said, I've got to remember the title of the story um, to do it. I remember the cover, but I can never find it. Um, that could be a, a black mirror, son. It could be a black mm-hmm. mirror, but it, it's just, it's so ahead of its time. I mean, that story said, holy crap, look at the way we as men, to stay the way we are as men, have to treat women. And yeah. I think that is a powerful story that would be really well received today. And of and- course, it would get you know, it would get you know your all of the people complaining about how you're pandering again, just like all mm-hmm. everything else. But yeah. it's but oh, yeah. it's not. I mean, this was an early take yeah. on that. So yeah, that's,
2: that seems like the kind of thing HBO would jump all over.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic story. But again, it's a one off story, and I cannot remember who wrote it or what it was called. I just remember the story so strongly because at the end of it, the guys are holding the wings, and they base and they burn them, and the women are like. They have no idea what to do, and they just kind of pull into themselves and become good little 1950s housewives basically, and it was a powerful, powerful story. Mm. Mike? Mike, i don't know how you follow that, follow that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so i would think gladiator and mr keen i think gladiator because so many people these days just want to snap their fingers and have all the power and have all that but as you see in gladiator's story having all that really doesn't solve your problems yeah so you give the people the answer to this is what i've always wanted and this is what i wish i was the strongest guy around or i wish this that the other i wish i was immortal and then you get it and you find out well that doesn't You know, that doesn't help me pay the rent. That doesn't help me deal with this person over here who's doing this atrocious thing. Um, Doesn't help me solve the ills of the world. And then with Mr. Keene, I think, you know, you saw that kind of to some extent with person of interest. You've got this shadowy character behind the scenes who has this information access like no other. And he can grab some operatives and pull them in and have them affect change. So I think both of those would work really well in the, the current atmosphere. I think
3: actually for, for, the, for Smallville, they took an awful lot from Gladiator. The whole progression of I can't play sports, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was taken directly from Gladiator.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, Superman was taken directly from Gladiator. Well, yeah, but I mean, they, yeah.
3: they went to that yeah. part of Gladiator and used it, which hadn't yeah. been in Superman itself.
1: Yeah, I think gladiator stuff and, and, and this is, a, I've gotten in trouble with my editors for this because you take what is a character's central conceit, their, their true power, right? Whether they fly a plane, whether they're super strong, and then you put them in a situation where that doesn't help them. Right. And how do they do it? Like, you know, the, the Lance star stuff, the the editor looked at, he's like, he's not even in a plane. I'm like, well, exactly. He's going to win. If he's in a plane, what's he going to do out of the plane? Yeah. That's yeah. when I get to see if he's a hero. Right. You know, yeah. but no, those are fun things to do where you take the hero and say, let's not play to your strengths because if you can punch something, it's an automatic win. Let's yeah. see what happens when you have to outthink something, you know,
4: that's like my story of the iron ace at the soccer mom meeting. you Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: Nine ladies, nine. That's uh, it, yeah.
0: You know, this is really hard for me because I think there's a John Carter Netflix show out there that could be great. I think that we obviously want to see Conan the Barbarian adapted into just Probably. imagine like a Conan, a big Conan story. Or you could do it like Bosch where you take two or three books or stories and make a season out of each one.
4: Yep. I think you one could take the, Pirates, the Black Coast from Conan. Man, make an incredible, yeah,
0: you know. One, he's a mercenary. One, he's a thief. One, he's a pi- He's done everything, and you could just yep. have a different season for each one. And then I I desperately want Parker uh, to be done right. And, again, you take two books, and you make a season out of each each pair of books, just like Bosch. Did it you, worked so perfectly.
3: Yeah. I, you see the you uh, the comic strip book of them that
2: they did a really
3: nice job with?
2: Oh uh, yeah, the the Darwin yeah. Cook stuff. Yeah,
3: Darwin yeah.
0: Cook. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But see, yeah. I think that's I think that's where we're going to get some of these better adaptations of these things. Because yes, distilling Conan into an hour and a half movie, there's a lot that doesn't translate. Exactly. Yeah, put put that over ten hour long, forty five minute episodes. Then you have chances to play up all those things that we as readers, these characters, have fallen in love with, which are the character beats that usually get lost in the movie but you know in place of action scenes. I would
3: also say adapt the damn stories for right.
4: Yeah, if they'd have stuck to a princess of Mars and actually done that that John Carter movie would have been a
3: the sections that were actually from the book were excellent.
4: Well
3: the rest of it was like what? Yeah. Yeah because well, captain know, john carter
4: was a pretentious self you know <laughs> self-indulgent entitled I consider
3: the first 3 um carter books to be the best action novel ever written and the the two cliffhangers to be the best two cliffhangers in the history of literature i mean did you save the world is your wife dead you don't know you know <laughs>
2: i mean wow
4: yeah that's right up there with I am your father.
2: You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the end of end of core, where it's like they've been trying to to get out of Pelucidar. They get out, and it ends with, "I got to go back." Yep. You know, she's still there. I've got to go get her. You know, yep. so yeah, it's it, You know, he knew. How to, he knew how to bring you back,
0: gentlemen. I think that our audience has been uh, has been illuminated. They know much more about pulps and what's good and what's bad and what's worked and what had not and all that. I appreciate it. We're out of time. Uh, thank you guys so much.
1: Houston, uh, Base here. The Eagle has landed.
0: This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.